نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah From the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone And that He has no partners or associates And I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is His slave servant and His messenger We'd like to continue with the review of the notes from Al-Ma'rifah Fi Ulum Al-Hadith on Introduction to the Science of Hadith by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar Hafidhahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him And the last lecture that we reviewed was lecture number 7 at Tadlis Today insha'Allah we will try to cover lecture number 8 and lecture number 9 and perhaps begin lecture number 10 Yani, there are four lectures remaining, so we'll try to at least cover two of them today, and if possible, a little more of the next one, so that in the next class on Yawmul uh, Qurafah, we'll complete the review, ta'ala. then after Ramadan or after the Eid vacation, when we turn back, the two days in the week, one day will be for review, and to discuss any points of importance before the exam, and the second class will be for the examination. In any case, in lecture number eight, we discussed... Uh, a number of terminologies or types of hadith under the heading of classification of hadith according to the nature of the text and isnad according to the nature of the text and isnad Uh, the first two or the first type of hadith that we discussed here is shad and we have written here in the notes in the handout see also mahfud the opposite of shaz is mahfud. So keep these two terms together. And likewise, the second terminology, munkar, see also ma'ruf, because they are opposites of one another. So they should be kept in mind, yani together. A shaz, linguistically, it means infirad, the odd one in the group, infirad. Yani. Shaz means that if there is a group, of things, one of them is odd, different than the rest of the group, or a person who is different than the rest of the group. Shudud is a term that's normally used for people who are strange or odd, particularly homosexuality. Homosexuals and homosexuality is referred to as shudud because it's something odd, it's unnatural, strange, different than the norm. So here the linguistic meaning of shad, it means infirad, the odd one in the group. Technically, and in mustalah, the istilah meaning of shad is that which is narrated by a reliable maqbul, or sometimes some of the scholars said thiqa. But actually, perhaps the more comprehensive meaning here is to use the word maqbul, because thiqa is a high rating, the highest rating that a narrator can get. Whereas maqbul is a lower rating, and it includes thiqa also. It includes thiqa. 
So if we say maqbul, as we read here, it's written here, it's better. Because uh, if you say fiqh, it doesn't include those who are less than him. But if you say maqbul, it also includes those who are higher than him. It also includes those who are higher than him. Therefore, that which is narrated by a reliable or maqbul, acceptable narrator, in contradiction to what is narrated by those who are more reliable than him. And if a Saka narrator, who is a reliable narrator, narrates something that is contradicted or in conflict or indifferent with those who are more reliable than him, then his narration would be rejected as shad. But even if the person is not on the level of Saka, but they are on a lower level, where their hadith is also acceptable, maqbool, and a Hassan hadith, the hadith will be Hassan, if they narrate something which is contradicted or indifferent to those who are more reliable than them, then it comes under the same heading as shad. Yani the one who narrates something and it is indif- different or in contradiction to those who are more reliable. Then those who are more reliable, either in their memory or in their number of people who narrate it like that, then that narration would be accepted. And the one who is less reliable, their narration would be rejected. The rejected narration is called shaz. And the acceptable one is called mahfuz. Mahfuz. The error in the shaz narration may occur in the isnad, yani the chain of narrators, or in the matin, the text. Yani the error, the contradiction between the two narrations, it may be in the text, the wording of the hadith itself, or it may be in the isnad, the way the person narrated the chain of narrators. The hadith which is shaz otherwise appears to fulfill the conditions of sahih. And if the other conditions of sahih would be fulfilled, except that there is a contradiction that cannot be explained away. In that case, when there is a contradiction, though the hadith has a complete chain, the isnad is complete, and the narrators are reliable narrators, but when there is a contradiction between the way it was narrated by this one and the way it was narrated by the other, then the one which is more reliable, who has the better memory or more accurate in narrating or more in number, their narration would be accepted. That's called mahfuz, the preserved narration, from hafidha, hev, to preserve or to memorize, to protect. So the one that's mahfuz is the one that's more reliable and the one that's rejected is shaz. The ruling concerning the shaz hadith is classified as a weak hadith. It is rejected. Its opposite is mahfuz, the preserved or correctly memorized narration that which is narrated by more reliable narrator in contradiction to a less reliable narrator. So Shaz and Mahfuz deal with what? They deal with a hadith which has been narrated by more than one person, more than one chain. The text of the hadith, what has been reported, contains a contradiction. It's the same report, but there is a contradiction between the way it was narrated by two different people, or more, or more than two. There is a contradiction. In that case, if we cannot reconcile the contradiction or explain it away to show that it can be reconciled, in that case we have to accept one and reject one. So the one that's accepted is the one who is stronger in memory or accuracy or, or more in number. Since all of them are reliable narrators, then those who, the one who is more stronger or more in number will be accepted. That's mahfuz, the protected or preserved narration, and the one who is less reliable Though normally their, their hadith are accepted, but in this case, because of the contradiction, it would be rejected, and this is the shaz. Similar to these two terminologies 
are munkar and ma'roof. Yani munkar and ma'roof are very similar in meaning to shaz and mahfuz. Except that the munkar and ma'roof, it is uh, related to a narrator who is a weak reporter. Narrating something in contradiction or indifference to a strong reporter. Yani in the first, in Shaz and Mahfud, both of them are reliable reporters. Both of them are acceptable reporters. But they have a contradiction, so one has to be rejected. In this case, one of them is a reliable reporter. And the other one is a weak reporter. So it's easy in this case, the one that's the weak reporter, his narration would be rejected. Here, in the notes we had Munkar, see also Ma'ruf, linguistically Munkar, that which is rejected or repudiated, as opposed to that which is accepted. That which is rejected. Technically, it has been defined in a number of ways. The following are two of the definitions of Munkar. Munkar, as we said, has many definitions, but so as not to make the matter confusing, I only selected two of those definitions, which are the most common, commonly used definitions, so that at least we will be aware that it has more than one definition, and these are the most com- the, the, the common ones. The following two definitions are given for Munkar. The hadith whose chain of narrators contains a narrator who makes serious mistakes. Fahshal ghalat. Who makes serious or many mistakes. Innumerable instances of unmindfulness. Kathratul ghafla. Kathratul ghafla. Yani, the person who, when they used to sit and listen to the narrations of hadith, they were thinking about something else. Their mind was wandering. Kathratul ghafla. Unmindfulness. Yani, too much unmindfulness. To the extent that, when they go back to report those hadith which they weren't listening to, obviously they're not going to report them accurately. So this is also one of the characteristics of the narrator whose hadith will be considered as munkar. And the third of the common definition or common characteristics of the narrator whose hadith is munkar is the one who openly displays evil or immoral behavior, zuhur al-fisq, who openly shows evil or immoral behavior. Such narrators that have these three characteristics, who make serious mistakes, innumerable instances of unmindfulness, or openly, openly displaying immoral evil behavior, not the person who may commit sins, but who at least doesn't do it openly, but the one who comes out in front of the people drinking alcohol, or intoxicated, or doing any that which is known to be forbidden, and they do it openly in front of the people, then their narrations, like so, would be rejected as munkar. Okay, this is one of the definitions. The second one, is the one that is in line with the previous category, Shaz and Mahfud. The second definition of Munkar is B, the hadith which is reported by a weak, da'if narrator, in contradiction to that which is reported by a reliable narrator, Shaka or Makbul. And if the weak narrator who narrates something in contradiction to the reliable or acceptable narrator, this is called Munkar. And the opposite of this Munkar is Ma'aruf, meaning that when there are two reports of the same hadith through different chains, the chain that contains a weak reporter, that is the one that would be rejected as munkar. But the one that contradicts it, which contains the strong or acceptable or reliable reporter, is the one that would be accepted. And this is the one that is called ma'roof. Okay? These two terminologies are well known to us, commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. Al-amru bin ma'roof and nahyan al-munkar. But here the meaning is in reference to hadith. The ma'roof is the hadith that is accepted. Because the narrator, and that one is the strong narrator. The munkar 
is the narration that is rejected because the narrator in that chain is a weak narrator. Okay? So here we have four categories, two pairs of categories, Shad and Mahfud. Shad and Mahfud, there's a contradiction between two narrators. Both of them are acceptable or reliable narrators, but one of them is stronger in memory or in number, more in number than the other. Okay? The one that's stronger in memory or in number is the one that we accept, the Mahfud. And the one that's lesser, though they are normally accepted, is Shad. Similar to that is Munkar and Ma'ruf. Munkar and Ma'ruf also two narrations of the same hadith with a contradiction. But one of the chains came with a reliable reporter and the other one came with a weak reporter. The one with the reliable reporter is Ma'ruf and the one with the weak reporter is Munkar. The ruling concerning the Munkar hadith is classified as a weak hadith. Da'if Jiddan, rejected. Yani, a Munkar hadith is a weak hadith. It's very serious weakness. It's not a minor weakness. It's a serious weakness, the type of weakness that we wouldn't raise it up. It wouldn't be raised up to an acceptable level even if they are supporting narrations. Because it's very serious defect in it. And we said that narrations that are supported by others have to only have a minor defect or a minor weakness. In that case, by it coming through a number of different chains, it alleviates or eliminates or reduces the doubt that we have about the acceptability of that report. The opposite of Munkar, its opposite is Ma'ruf, the approved or accepted narration, that which is narrated by a reliable Thaqa narrator in contradiction to what is narrated by a weak Da'if narrator. Yani the one that is accepted is the Ma'ruf and the one that is rejected is the Munkar. And in the previous two categories, the one that is accepted is Mahfuz, the preserved, and the one that is rejected is the Shad, the odd one. The importance of these categories, the importance of these categories is when there are numerous chains of narration for the same hadith and there is a contradiction between any two of them and there is a contradiction that cannot be resolved then what do we do with them? we have to decide which one to accept and which one to reject so in the case where both chains contain reliable reporters we look at the stronger one and take that one that's mahfuz in the case where one of them contains a weak reporter then we take the one that contains the strong reporters and that one is Ma'ruf, and the rejected one is Munkar. The other terminology, or the next terminology that we discussed was Mudraj. Idraj, linguistically, is that which has been entered into something else or joined to it. And yani something, when you join it to something else, this is called Idraj. When you join something, to something else. Take something and attach it to another thing. This is called idraj. This is the linguistic meaning. As for the technical meaning, it means that isnad or chain of narrators whose order has been changed or the metin text, text which has had something added to it which is not part of it without any indication of separation. And if something has been added to it but there is no clear indication that that which is added is not a part of it. So that some people may think that it is a part of it. They will not distinguish 
between the original and that which has been added to it. Idraj may occur in the chain of narrators or in the actual text. Yani, and a narrator may be added to a chain that is not part of that chain of narrators. By mistake or otherwise, someone may be added to the chain that is not a part of it, and that would be Idraj in the chain of narrators. In the text, wording may be added to it. Idraj in the text may occur in the beginning, which is seldom, in the middle, which is even more rare, or in the end, which is the most common. In the end, it's most common because the person who's narrating the hadith, when they finish narrating the hadith, perhaps they made a comment, explaining some words in the hadith, or deriving some ruling from the hadith. And after mentioning the hadith, they say, from this hadith, we derive such and such ruling, that it's haram, or it's forbidden, or it's mustahab, to do such and such and so and so. Or, mentioning some other benefit from the hadith, and the person who heard the hadith from them, thought that those words were part of the hadith, because they didn't make a distinction between the narration of the hadith itself and their own comments. And that happened on many occasions, and for that reason sometimes, some words were, and it joined to the hadith that were not from the Prophet wasallam. The reasons for idraj, clarification of a legal ruling, extract, extraction of a legal ruling from the hadith while narrating the hadith, explanation of the meaning of a word from the actual text of the hadith. Then, for example, in the hadith with Zuhri, one of the imams of the Tabi'in, narrated the hadith about the Prophet I think the hadith is from Aisha, when he was in the cave receiving the revelation. He used to go to the cave. And that's when the revelation came to him. Uh, he used the, a word is used in that hadith which is not a commonly understood word. So a zuhri, when he narrates the hadith, he explained the meaning. Tahannaf it means ta'abud, it means worship, that he was doing worship there. So that explanation, some of the people narrated it as though it was part of the hadith, but actually it was the words of one of the narrators, a zuhri, rahimahullah. And likewise, how it is discovered. The added words are reported in another narration separate from the text. And that's the way it was reported in Al-Bukhari or in Muslim, the words of Zuhri, as his own words, clearly being distinguished from the text of the hadith itself. Or some of the very knowledgeable scholars declare it to be so. Yani the imams of hadith who are well read in the, yani, uh, the uh, sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, they might be able to detect and therefore they would identify it that these words are not really from the Prophet ﷺ. The narrator himself may declare to be Idraj. Yani perhaps the narrator himself may actually say on another occasion that these words yani are not the, from the hadith but are his own words or it may be discovered by the impossibility of such words being the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Yani some words that from the language or style of the speech of the Prophet ﷺ or from the meaning of what is being said it couldn't possibly have been from the Prophet and therefore will be declared as Idraj. It's ruling, it is forbidden to do so, except in the case of explaining a word as a Zuhri used to do. And otherwise, it is very dangerous if someone adds anything to the hadith of the Prophet since the hadith is a source of legislation, it's one of the foundations of the Sharia. And the deen is based upon it, and people's worship is based upon it, and that which is declared lawful or unlawful is based upon it. Therefore, it is forbidden, and it is haram to do so intentionally, except as some of the scholars said, in the case of those who used to explain 
some words from the hadith for clarification. But in that case, there should be a distinction and a separation between the text of the hadith and the words of the reporter. In the next lecture, we talked about classification hadith according to a hidden defect in the isnad or text of the hadith. A hidden defect. And in reference to the hidden defects in the hadith, the subject of hidden defects or ilal is a very important topic which we discussed previously in some detail but not enough. But let me just repeat here beyond the, the, that which is contained uh, in the notes that the topic of hidden defects is very important because the hidden defect is the defect in the hadith which is not easily detected even by scholars. And therefore, for that reason, uh, we have to be aware that there is such a thing. And we have to look to the scholars, the specialists in this field, to see if it can be determined that someone has identified something like this in a particular hadith. So, of the types of hidden defects, there are many from amongst them, is ittirab. So, the muttarab hadith, it, here he discussed it, the shaykh discussed it, يعني, in some detail, and the notes يعني, are a summary of, of uh, that which is related to this hadith. Muttarab, linguistically, is, that, is derived from ittirab, disturbance of a system, or disorder, or confusion, or shaking. يعني, ittirab, it means something that is in disorder or confusion or disarray or disturbed. Technically, it means that which has been reported, number one, or A, in a contradictory, in contradictory narrations, which do not allow for reconciliation. While each narration is B, of equal strength, such that no one of them can be given preference over the others. These are two very important points for ittirab. In order for hadith to be considered as muttarib, which means that it would be rejected, there are two primary conditions. The first, that the hadith has been reported by more than one chain of narration. Yani by at least two or more chains of narration. And there is a contradiction between those two or more uh, reports as they came through different chains. There is a contradiction that cannot be reconciled. If the contradiction can be reconciled, we can show that though there is an apparent difference, but we can show that it can be reconciled, then it won't be ittirah. But when there is a contradiction that cannot be reconciled, this is the first condition. And in addition to that, there should also be يعني, the uh, equality in the strength of the narrators. Yani that both chains of narrators are equal, such that we cannot give preference, we cannot make tarjih of one chain over the other. We cannot say this one is stronger than that one. In that case, since we can't choose one as being preferable or stronger than the other, and we can't reconcile the contradiction, then we say this hadith is mutarib, and therefore the hadith, we cannot use it as a proof in the sharia or in the deen. So these two points, that there is a contradiction, which cannot be reconciled, and that the two narrations are of equal strength, so that we cannot give preference to one over the other. In that case, these two conditions, if they are fulfilled, both of them, the hadith would be considered mutarib. Both of these factors must be present for hadith to be considered mutarib. In the case, in the case where the contradiction between the varying reports, can be reconciled in an acceptable manner, it will no longer be considered mutarib. And each of the reports will be acted upon. And each of them will be then accepted. Such as the hadith that we mentioned, the example of the hadith where it is reported that the Prophet said that there is no charity that anyone has to give after zakat. 
It has been reported in the Sunnah Ibn Majah and the Sunnah Ibn Tirmidhi with different wording, which appear to be contradiction. And, some of the, and most of the scholars consider this hadith as mutarib, and most of the books of Mustalah hadith include it as the primary example of mutarib hadith, while some scholars actually attempted to make a reconciliation of it, as we mentioned. In any case, the important thing is that it should be irreconcilable, and it should be also of equal strength so that we can give preference to one or the other. In the case where one report is shown to be preferred, over the others, yani in strength, it, is, it, it will no longer be considered as mutarif. And the preferred narration, the rajih, will be acted upon to the exclusion of the other. Yani, if we can make reconciliation between them, both will be accepted and acted upon. But if we don't make reconciliation, but we make tarjih between them, one being stronger than the other, then the one that is stronger, the rajih, will be acted upon, and the one that is weaker, the marjuh, will be rejected. Al-Ibtiraq may occur in the Isnad, chain of narratives, which occurs more often as well as in the Metin, the text or the report. Yani, Ibtiraq may occur either in the Isnad or in the Metin. And then there are some examples of Ibtiraq here, but for the sake of time, uh, you can look at the handout. The hadith here is mentioned uh, about the zakat and the explanation that some of the scholars gave to make reconciliation of it is also mentioned. Or maybe the, the reconciliation is not mentioned here, but in any case, the, rec- the reconciliation between these two hadith that verily there is a duty upon wealth other than zakat. And the other hadith, there is no duty upon wealth other than zakat. And if there is a duty in one of the narrations, and the other one, there is no duty. And if the only obligation that a person has on their wealth is zakat. In the other narration, that definitely there is upon a person's wealth some obligation other than zakat. And the, the reconciliation of that as Sheikh Abdul Musin al-Abbad, one of the scholars in Medina, he said in his book, Mustalah Hadith, that some of the scholars offer the reconciliation, that there's no obligation other than zakat. It means there's no obligatory duty on a person other than zakat. Zakat is the only obligatory duty. But those who said that there is a duty on a person's wealth other than zakat, that narration, it means that there is yani, some duty, meaning voluntary, voluntary sadaqah other than zakat. So, the mutarib hadith, in any case, the important thing is that mutarib hadith, if we cannot reconcile, and we cannot give preference to one narration over the other, then we have to stop. We cannot act on either of those narrations. If we give preference to one over the other, we will act on one and reject the other. Or if we make reconciliation, then we can use both of them. And this is the best thing. Whenever there is a conflict between any evidences from the Quran or the Sunnah, the first course of action is to try to make reconciliation. To try to eliminate the apparent contradiction. If we can do so, this is the first course of action and it's obligatory to do so if possible. Because in this way, both evidences, both texts from the Sharia will be accepted and acted upon. Both of them will be accepted and acted upon. In the absence of that, we can look at the history or the, the, the timing of those reports when they came. Whichever one came earlier, and whichever one, which of them came later, the one that came later would be considered as the abrogator of the one that came earlier. One of them, the earlier one is Mansukh, 
and the later one is nasikh, the later one will be accepted and acted upon and the other one one will be left. But if we don't know the dates of the timing of those reports, we cannot rec- make reconciliation and we cannot determine that one is abrogates the other. In that case we go to Tarji and try to see which one is stronger. If we can do so, we'll take the stronger one and reject the lesser one. Otherwise, both of them will be left as in the case of the hadith that is muttarib. Uh, the last category in this lecture was the category of maqloob. Linguistically, maqloob, it means reversed or turned upside down. Something that is turned around or turned upside down or turned over. Maqloob. Technically, it means exchanging an expression for another in the isnad or metin by advancing or putting back. Yani, exchanging an expression in the isnad, meaning in the narrators. Maybe placing one narrator in the place of another, or reversing the names of a reporter. And instead of, for example, Muhammad ibn Zayd, it would be Zayd ibn Muhammad, and likewise. Exchanging the uh, expression in the isnad, or in the text of the hadith itself. Changing the expression or reversing it, putting something uh, ahead of its place or behind, advancing or putting back. The maqloob, maqloob al-isnad, and it, uh, we mentioned that the name of the narrator and his father is reversed. For example, Ka'ab ibn Murra is referred to as Murra ibn Ka'ab. This is, is, is uh, yeah, an, an example in the chain of narratives where the name has been reversed or turned around. Another example of this is the name of the narrator is replaced by that of a completely different narrator changing the isnad to a new one. Yani, actually, perhaps sometimes a hadith that is really from the hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu is reported from Aisha radiallahu anha. Yani, that hadith should be in the musnad, the hadith that are attributed, yani, that are attributed to the Prophet from Abu Hurairah or somebody narrated as a hadith of Aisha. This is also considered as maqloob. Maqloob al-matan in the text, the order of the words is reversed. For example, hadith of Muslim, the hadith in the Sahih of Muslim from Abu Hurairah anhu about the seven whom Allah shades on the day when there is no shade other than the shade of his throne. The words occur in a man who gives in charity and hides it such that his right hand does not know what his left hand gives in charity. His right hand does not know what his left hand gives in charity. The wording is the mistake of one of the narrators. The correct wording is such that his left hand does not know what his right hand gives in charity. And this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And and giving its ismad also to a different text. This might be done as a test. The scholars of Baghdad did as the scholars of Baghdad did with Al-Bukhari, rahimahullah. Yani, they, they gave him a number of hadith, 100 hadith, each, one, each 10 reported by a, a single person uh, narrating a correct hadith, but with a wrong isnad, exchanging the text of the hadith for other isnads or the isnads for other texts. Uh, this sometimes had been done by some of the scholars to test the one who they wanted to listen to hadith from to see if that person really was accurate in their reporting of hadith or how well they knew the hadith of the Prophet 
some scholars didn't accept this as being legitimate, that it should be done even as a test. In any case, uh, in general, it shouldn't be done because of the fear that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ would be corrupted or would be altered uh, and its meaning might be changed. So this is the maqloob in isnad or in the metin or chain of narrators. Uh, perhaps we'll stop here and finish the next uh, topics Sahih and Hassan and Da'if and Mawdu'a the last topics in the last class uh, or at least to summarize them I think those topics Sahih and Hassan are yani, relatively familiar to us so we'll stop here and just mention a few points um, how much time is remaining? it's what time? 4.20 okay. Uh, concerning the application of the terminologies of Mustalah Hadith, I'd like to just discuss briefly something related to Ramadan, as we've been doing for the last few weeks, some Hadith related to Ramadan, as practical application of what we have been discussing in Mustalah Hadith. Uh, there are two points, but perhaps time will not allow, so at least we'll dis- begin to discuss it, and in the next class, inshallah, we'll complete it. The first point is that which has been reported uh, in Fiqh Sunnah, um, <coughs> which is available, and the translation is available in English. I say it's Sabbath. And there are some comments concerning particularly concerning the hadith uh, and the references for the hadith and the authenticity of some of the hadith as well as some points related to fiqh by Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani rahimahullah in his book Tamam al-Manna fi ta'alif ala fiqh al-sunnah so here in the chapter related to fasting or making up days that are missed in Ramadan and you may find it in fiqh al-sunnah in the Arabic text on page 536 on the English translation page 142. If you want to go back and check it, actually I intended to bring the English translation with me, but uh, I forgot it. In any case, anybody who has Fiqh Sunnah, the translation, in English you may refer to it in page 142, making up days missed from Ramadan. The saying of the author, Sayyid Sabiq, uh, making up Ramadan, or يعني, making up for those days missed in Ramadan, is not obligatory, it is not obligatory to do so immediately. قضاء رمضان لا يجب على الفور and it's not obligatory to make up the days that someone missed in Ramadan immediately uh, here Sheikh Al-Bani rahimahullah comments concerning this statement that this is in contradiction or is in negation of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَسَارِعُوا إِلَى مَغْفِرَةٍ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ وَسَارِعُوا إِلَى مَغْفِرَةٍ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ And he hastened to the seeking of the forgiveness of your Lord. In this ayat, some of the scholars said the meaning of this is that a Muslim is expected, in fact, not expected, but has been commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the wording of this ayah from the Qur'an, سَارِعُوا 
It means you are commanded. It is a command form. Fi'l Amr. Sariu. And we said that Al Amr yaktadi al Wujub. That whenever there is a command in the text of the Quran or Sunnah, it indicates that that thing which we have been commanded is obligatory. Unless there is another, another evidence showing that the intended meaning is not for it to be obligatory. In the absence of another evidence showing otherwise, then the apparent meaning of the command form in the Qur'an and the Sunnah is that something is obligatory. Therefore we understand that it's obligatory for us to hasten in seeking the forgiveness of Allah, especially in the doing of good deeds, and from amongst those things is fulfilling the obligations which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed on us. And it is an obligation on a Muslim to fast the month of Ramadan. Whoever missed any days in Ramadan for a legitimate excuse, they should hasten to make up those days and not take it lightly. If a person missed days and was capable of making up those days, but was lax in making it up, and then they became sick and unable to make it up or died without making it up, then this would be a debt that would be owed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qiyamah. So here the Shaykh says that this is a negation of the saying of Allah in this verse, hasten to the forgiveness of your Lord. In Surah Al-Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 133. The truth of the matter is that it is obligatory to hasten to making up those days as soon as the person is able or capable to do so. And this is the madhab of Imam Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, uh, as he mentioned in his book, Al-Muhal. And here the Shaykh says that there is nothing authentic in the Sunnah that contradicts this madhab. A madhab that a person is obligated to hasten to fulfill or to make up for those obligations which they have missed for a legitimate reason. But once they are able, then they are obligated to hasten to make it up. As for the evidence that the author, Sayyid Sabiq, has used to show that it is not obligatory to hasten in the making of those days that the person is missed in Ramadan, where he said that it has been authentically reported from Aisha, radiallahu anha, that she used to make up the days that she had missed in Ramadan in Sha'ban. In Sha'ban. She used to make up the days that she missed from Ramadan in Sha'ban. Sha'ban is the month before Ramadan. That means that the whole year went by until another Ramadan almost came in the month of Sha'ban. She made up the days that she missed from Ramadan. This hadith is reported by Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, and Imam Muslim in his Sahih, Rahimahullah. He said <coughs> that she, she didn't, the author says, says, and she didn't used to make up those days that she had missed, even though she was able to. I mean, that's his comment, that she didn't used to make up those days, even though she was able to, and until Sha'ban, which is a proof, and making up the days for Ramadan is open. You can, you have plenty of time, you can do it at any time, as long as you do it before the next Ramadan. He said, this is not correct. Because there's nothing in the hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha, which indicates that she was able to make up those days that she had missed in Ramadan immediately. There's nothing in the hadith which shows that she was able and that she neglected out of laxity or for some other reason to make it up until Sha'ban. On the contrary, what, is, what can be understood from the, this hadith and from the expression of the hadith itself, from the text of the hadith, as reported in the Sahih of Muslim, كَانَ يَكُونُ عَلَيَّ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ فَمَا أَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ أَقْضِيَهُ إِلَّا فِي شَعْبَانِ الشغل مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أو بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم She said that there used to be some days from the fast of Ramadan upon me as an obligation for me to make up. فَمَا أَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ أَقْضِيَهُ إِلَّا فِي رَمَضَانِ إِلَّا فِي شَعْبَانِ And I was not able to make up those days except in the month of Sha'ban due to 
being busy or occupied with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This has been also reported by Imam Al-Bukhari Rahimahullah in his Sahih. And this is in contradiction to what a person may understand if they read the statement of the Shaykh Sayyid Sabbath in his book Fiqh Sunnah uh, from the narration of Al-Bukhari and likewise in the narration of Muslim the wording uh, and that if one of us, meaning the wives of the Prophet had broken a fast or didn't fast one of the days in Ramadan during the era, during the time, during the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah then she was not able to make up that day while she was with the Messenger of Allah until Sha'ban came. Here again, the wording of the hadith is clear. فَمَا تَقْدِرْ عَلَىٰ أَن تَقْدِيَهُ مَا رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ وَسَلَّمْ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ شَعْبَانِ And the wording in Al-Bukhari, فَمَا أَسْتَطِعُ And the wording in Sahih Muslim, فَمَا تَقْدِرْ Both of these words indicate clearly that the reason for the delay in making up the day was because they were unable to, not because the matter was open, that you may delay it as you like. So this hadith, in both of its narrations, is clear. The narration of Al-Bukhari and the narration of Muslim, both are clear that, they, that she, was not a, un, she was unable to make up those days before that time when it was made up in the month of Sha'ban. And also, you might understand from this hadith, the Shaykh says, that also there is an indication that had she been able to do so, she would not have delayed it. And from these words, that I was not able to indicate that had I been able to, then I would not have delayed it. But I would have made up those days earlier. So this is a proof against the opinion that is expressed here that the matter is open and a person may make it up whenever they want and it's not obligatory to do so immediately. For this reason, Az-Zain ibn al-Munayyir rahimahullah says concerning this matter, that what is apparent from the practice of Aisha عنها, in making up the days that were missed in Ramadan what is apparent is that it is preferable that the person should hasten to making up those days if there wasn't anything to prevent them such as her excuse that she was occupied with the Prophet in this case we understand that if the person doesn't have an excuse for delaying the making of those days, then it is not proper that a person should delay the making up of those days. Then the Shaykh says, Ibn al-Qayyim, al-Imam ibn al-Qayyim, and as well al-Hafiz bin Hajj al-Asqalani, and other scholars besides them made it clear that the statement in this hadith الشغل من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أو برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعني the wording at the end of this hadith that it was the occupation with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that was the cause of delay of making of those days that this is this statement is مدرج مدرج is added to the hadith يعني the actual wording of the hadith is that I was not able to make of those days except in شعبان I was not able to make of those days except in شعبان and that which came after it, yani due to occupation 
with the Messenger of Allah Wasallam, are mudraj. This is not from the speech of Aisha radiallahu anha, but it is something that has been added by one of the narrators. And the person who added it, after checking the narrations of the hadith, is Yahya ibn Sa'id. And the proof of this is the saying of Yahya ibn Sa'id himself in the narration of Muslim, فَذَنَنْتُ أَنَّ ذَلَكَ بِمَكَانِهَا مِنَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ And Yahya ibn Sa'id in the narration of Sahih Muslim said, I thought that the reason why she delayed it was because of her status with the Messenger of Allah that she was close to him and therefore it wasn't easy for her just to fast at any time without يعني, uh, making any difficulty for the Prophet so this is an example of Idraj يعني, the narrator in one narration there was no distinction between those words and the words of the hadith but in the narration of Muslim it was clear that he said I, I thought that the, that the reason for this was her occupation with the Prophet or her status with the Messenger of Allah However, this statement from Imam Ibn Qayyim and Al-Hafid Ibn Hajj al that this is mudraj, that it's not from the saying of Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, has no effect on what has been previously said. Because the important point of the hadith is the saying of Aisha, فَمَا أَسْتَطِيعُ That I was unable to make up those days. Or in the other, the narration of Sahih Muslim, فَمَا تَقْدِرُ And in that, she was unable. She was un, and incapable of making up those days until Sha'ban. This is an important statement in the hadith. As for the words that came after, the Mudraj, they don't really have an effect on the point that is being discussed here. But in fact, those words only make clear that is the reason why she was unable. The, the important thing is that she was unable to do it. That's what prevented her and delayed the making up of the days. Inability. The reason why she was unable is what is mudraj. Yani it was because she was occupied with the Prophet ﷺ, or even if it was for some other reason. Whatever the reason is, the important thing is that the one who was unable is excused in delaying the making of the days, and the one who is able is not excused. But they should hasten to the making up of those days which are an obligation. <coughs> uh, yani this is the important thing that he said here. Uh, just for the sake of time, the second point that's related to this which is also of importance uh, is the matter, and the first point is that the making of the days in general, for anyone who has missed days in Ramadan, it should be made up, it should be hastened to, without delay, unless they have a legitimate reason or excuse to delay. The second point is related to delaying the days of Ramadan in preference to fasting voluntary fast. And in some people, they delay the making up of the obligatory fast of Ramadan which they missed, and they fast voluntary fast, such as the six days of Shawwal. And if they want to get the reward of fasting six days of Shawwal, but they haven't completed the fast of Ramadan. And the obligatory fast has more right that it should be performed than the voluntary fast. Here in the fatwa of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, concerning the ruling of fasting six days of Shawwal for the one who has days which they missed from Ramadan to make up. He was asked, what is your opinion concerning this? And he said, the ruling concerning this is based on the saying of the Prophet Wasallam. من صام رمضان ثم أتبعه بست من شوال كان كسيام الدهر that whoever has fasted the month of Ramadan then they followed it fasting the month of Ramadan is followed by six days of shawal they will get the reward as though they have fasted for the whole year but the hadith is clear that the one who follows the fast of Ramadan with six days the one who hasn't completed Ramadan how can they follow the fast of Ramadan until they first complete the fast of Ramadan that means the six days of shawal should follow the completion of the obligatory fast of Ramadan. <coughs> In this case, the Shaykh said that it is obligatory on a person to make up the days 
that they have missed, and then to fast the six days. Yani, if a person is obligated to make up some days, uh, and they fasted the six days, can we consider that person as having fasted Ramadan, and then followed it by six days, or did they fast the six days before the completion of Ramadan? We say that such a person, <coughs> if that person has fasted 24 days, for example, and they remain six days from Ramadan, which they didn't fast, and they fast six days from Shawwal before making up the six days, which are obligatory from Ramadan, can we say that such a person has followed up the fast of Ramadan with six days of Shawwal? He said, no way. مَا صَمَ رَمَضَان إِذْ لَا يُقَالْ صَمَ رَمَضَان إِلَّا إِذَا أَكْمَلَهُ وَعَلَى هَذَا فَلَا يُثْبُتْ أَجْرُ سِيَامْ سِتْتِ مِنْ شَوَالْ لِمَنْ صَامَهَا وَعَلَيْهِ قَضَى مِنْ رَمَضَان إِلَّا إِذَا قَضَى رَمَضَان ثُمَّ صَامَهَا يعني the Shaykh says no, that this is not correct that the person has not fasted Ramadan unless they completed the fast of Ramadan يعني they completed all the days that are from Ramadan otherwise the reward for fasting the six days of Shawwal will not be accredited to them if they fasted those six days before making up the days of Ramadan. Yani, they will only get credit when they have made up the days of Ramadan and then they follow it with fasting the six days of Shawwal. This is a common mistake, especially amongst the women that have days to make up from Ramadan due to their menses or other reason. And they want to hasten to get the reward for the six days of Shawwal. So rather than making up the days of Ramadan, they fast the six days of Shawwal and make up the days of Ramadan at any time according to the understanding that Aisha didn't make it up until Sha'ban, therefore you can make it up at any point until next year. So they fast the six days of Shawwal and they haven't completed the fast of Ramadan. So the correct يعني, position here and the correct thing for a person to do, whether man or woman, is that whoever has days of Ramadan to make up should hasten to make them as soon as possible. And if they're really eager to get the reward of the fasting of six days of Shawwal, that should Follow whoever fasted Ramadan, be sitting in Shawwal, and that means they should complete Ramadan first, and then after that, there's days remaining in the month of Shawwal. There are 29 or 30 days. It's sufficient if a person has any six or seven or five days to make up from Ramadan, and they make them up, and then make the days of Shawwal, which Alhamdulillah, many of the Muslims, men and women, are doing. This is what we wanted to mention today. These two matters: hastening to making up the days of Ramadan. For those of us who have days to make up, we should hasten to make them up. And uh, whoever wants to fast the days of Shawwal, six days of Shawwal, and they should know that the condition in the text of the Hadith is that whoever fasted Ramadan, men sama Ramadan. Whoever fasted Ramadan, meaning the whole month of Ramadan, not part of it. Then they followed the completion of the fast of Ramadan with six days of Shawwal, and they will get the reward as though they fasted for the whole year. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any comments or questions or corrections in the moments remaining, inshallah, we can take them now. If the sisters have any questions, you can send them to us quickly. How? Now, no one should fast the day of Eid. It is prohibited to fast on the days of Eid. And in the first day of Shawwal, the first day of Shawwal is the day of Eid. The Prophet ﷺ said that we have Yawman, two days of Eid. Those two days are the first day of Shawwal, Eid al-Fitr, and the uh, tenth 
of Dhul Hijjah, Eid al Adha. These two days, it is prohibited to fast. So, if anybody wants to make up days from Ramadan after the day of Eid, after the first of Shawwal, they may begin fasting on the second or any time after that. Although some people consider, in some of the Arab countries especially, that the, the Eid al Fitr is three days, and some even say more than that. But there's no proof for it from the Sunnah. Actually, the Eid is one day, the first day of Shawwal. After that, it's permissible. Whoever wants to fast, may fast. And start making up those days. And the correct opinion from the scholars, which is pretty much unanimous, almost, is that those days may be made up consecutively or singly. You may make them up. If you have five days to make up, you may start on the second and make them up straight. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, or sixth. And complete them. Or you may fast one day and take a break. And fast one day and take a break. As you like. But whoever wants to fast the six days of Shawwal, they should make up the days of Ramadan first. Even if they make them consecutively or singly. But just keeping in mind that the month of Shawwal, the fast of Shawwal has to be in the month of Shawwal. So it shouldn't be delayed. And they should make up the days of Ramadan as quickly as possible. And then uh, make sure they have time remaining in the month of Shawwal to fast those six days in order to get the great reward uh, like fasting for the whole year. Any other comments or question? <coughs> the Maqbul narrator hadith is classified as Hassan. Maqbul narrator. Uh, this terminology is used by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Skarani. It means that that person is not a strong narrator. But their hadith is accepted as long as it is supported by other narrators. Otherwise, their hadith will be considered as having some weakness in it. So their hadith, when it is supported, it will be accepted. And it will be considered as hasan, maqbool. But the reason why we use the word maqbool, although most of the books of Mustala, most of them, use the word thiqa, the narrator who is thiqa. But the reason why we said maqbool, because the maqbool narrator, when we say the one who is maqbool, who is contradicted by someone who is more reliable than him, the same ruling is for the one who is thiqa, who is a higher level. He may also be contradicted by someone who is more reliable than him. But if we say the thiqa narrator, then it excludes the maqbool, who is less than him. It doesn't include him. And we want the definition to be all-inclusive. So the hadith that is shaz, it may be from a thiqa narrator who is contradicted by somebody who is awthaq minhu, more reliable than him. Or it may be from a, a lesser grade, maqbool narrator, who is contradicted by somebody who is more reliable than him. It may be from either one of them. So the more comprehensive meaning is not to use thiqa. If we say thiqa, it's limited only to the highest level. But if we say maqbool, then we mean everybody from that lowest level that's accepted and those who are above them. In general, in general, meaning the conditions of sahih are the same as the conditions of hasan. The conditions of Sahih Hadith is the same as the conditions of Hassan. So the conditions that are fulfilled in Sahih are also the conditions of Hassan. The only difference being that the accuracy or the precision of the memory of the narrator is a higher degree for Sahih and a lesser degree for Hassan. Otherwise, the conditions for Sahih and Hassan are the same. As we will discuss next week, the conditions for Sahih is that it should be a complete Isnad, Ittisal Al-Sanid. That the narrators and that Isnad should be of accurate memory and of good character. Adam In Sahih, the dabd or accuracy is almost near perfection. Whereas in Hassan, it's less than that. 
But the condition of dhab, accuracy, is for sahih and hasan. And adala, yani, is, 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 is shared by both sahih and hasan. But the character and the accuracy, or the accuracy in the hadith of sahih is higher than the accuracy of the narrator whose hadith would be hasan. Otherwise, these three conditions are similar in hasan and sahih, including that there shouldn't be any shad, any shudud, as yani, some contradiction of a reliable narrator who's contradicted by somebody who's more reliable than him, or any hidden defect, illa. And the hidden defect should be a hidden a defect which actually affects the acceptability of the hadith. Expect, it should affect the acceptability of the hadith. Not a defect that doesn't affect the acceptability of the hadith. If there's a defect such as a hadith that's maqloob, maybe the name is turned around. But the narrator himself is really an authentic narrator. So it's a defect and it may be hidden. It may be detected after research, but it doesn't affect the authenticity of the hadith. Or even if one uh, sahabi is replaced by another sahabi, but the chain of the narrator, after that is sahih. Everything else is fulfilled, then the replacement of one sahabi with another doesn't affect the authenticity of the hadith. Because all of the sahaba are udu, they are all acceptable, so it doesn't matter. Yani the replacement of one sahabi by another. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 